What kind of zombie do you want to kill you? How much leather is inside your wardrobe? Are there any snakes inside your wall cavities? All this and more on this episode of How to Survive Horror Movies. Hello and welcome to episode two of How to Survive Horror Movies with me, Keir Ferguson, and the learned man himself, Mr. Toby Hewitt. Hello, I am learned. More learned than the last time we did this. This uh, this week we watched Wreck, as in record. The first question is, is a subtitle film scarier than a non-subtitle film? Yes or no, Toby? That's a very good question. I actually think, I think in this particular case, yes. Partly because it's a found footage film. I think when you're watching it not as a native Spanish speaker and you're constantly reading all of the the subtitles as they come up, trying to make sure that you catch everything because it is all very frantic and chaotic, I think within that chaos, when something suddenly happens that shocks you, it's far more shocking. Um, Like when the the firefighter falls and there's that thud suddenly, you're like, fuck off, I'm reading. I read quite slowly. So I have to concentrate quite a bit on the uh, subtitles so that I make sure I'm following the story and getting it all right. And then when something jumpy does happen, it does generally tend to give me extra poopy pants than yeah, normal. I totally agree. And this, um, speaking of um, soiling yourself, the reason I suggested this film was because uh, this is a film that is very much designed to make you repeatedly soil yourself. Um, red wine moments that I will get into and talk about. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to these this time. Number one, man falls from sky. Man Number from two, sky. Run, running zombie girl, dead. Yeah. Number three, smash glass zombie. Yeah. Number four, health inspector, when he's a zombie, gets the old racist. Yeah. Number five, this was the biggest red wine moment loft door we'll discuss these further as we go on has anything horrific happened to you this week um i think the real horror as we were discussing before we started recording is that nothing has happened to me this week and now i'm afraid that nothing will ever happen to me ever again which is a horrible thought yeah just lockdown is shit i had a one near-death experience moment this this week proper final destination style right Driving on the motorway, outside lane, bit of spray on the road, so not the easiest driving conditions. Highway maintenance, flatbed truck in front of me. Mm-hmm. Left a good gap, and this is what saved my life. Two of those road um, signs, so like roadwork signs, the triangle ones yeah. uh, that people put in front of roadworks, flew off the back of this van. Uh, thankfully, I was far enough back from it. They hit the road and then lay flat. So then my tyres went straight. I couldn't avoid it at all. Tyres went straight over it. Thankfully, tyres are right. But if I'd have been doing two mile an hour faster, they would have smashed into the windscreen of my car and I would be dead. Yeah. And you're right. That is a real cinematic death as well. I'm terrified of that happening. Um, Now I'm going to be more afraid knowing that it nearly happened to you. Yeah, that's the the setup to um, The Descent. That's how a family die, isn't it? The the poles come off the back of the, the lorry. Oh. Um, so yeah, that was I. I, I did yeah. think I got away with one, but now I am in a little bit of fear of thinking I've got away with one. So is Final Destination gonna come and get me? Tune in next week to find out if I'm still alive. <laughs> maybe each. I mean, I hope not. But maybe each week you'll be able to report another near-death experience. 
Well, that must have, at the very least, it broke you down. It's a found footage film, which I really like because they're making a documentary or news report. Yeah, and while you sleep, it's called. Yeah, whilst you sleep. Mm-hmm. And there is great opportunity in it to edit the edit the footage because any if, if it was ever released officially, you know, on a news report or as a documentary, it would have been edited. But yes. they'll leave it unedited, which is brilliant because you build a better relationship with the characters. Yeah, you you kind of become um, Pablo, is his name, isn't it, the cameraman? Um, you're basically Pablo in the film, aren't you? Which I think is great, and that's usually the way in um, in a lot of these found footage films. And it makes it a bit like a roller coaster ride. Like there's something really kind of gimmicky about it, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's really clever. Um, and the thing I really like is that as the cameraman, you always have that um, assumption in your mind that, you're going to watch a lot of people die, but you can't die because if you die, there's no film. And then, of course, Pablo dies. <laughs> and it's a great moment where you think, oh, my God, I have no idea what's going to happen in this film. I tried to keep track of death rates and infection rates Ooh, because this is nice. ultimately a zombie film. Yeah. Couldn't keep up. And that's done deliberately because they want you to not be sure who's dead and who's infected to give you that real sense of you being there so that you kind of see it as Pablo is seeing it, which is great. Gory film, though. It is. Mainly for the wounds. There's lots of people being bitten by zombies and you see quite graphically how powerful a zombie's teeth are in the ability to rip open a person's throat which Which i enjoyed we discussed a bit in our in our first episode actually how strong are zombies teeth yeah i wanted to ask you actually how much does it bother you to see depictions of people being eaten i think i managed to distance myself from it so much that it's so alien to me that Mm. i can't associate it with being real but of course cannibals do exist whether they're zombies or not cannibals are out there But to me, because I've never visited a cannibal tribe, I've never encountered a cannibal, I have watched programmes with cannibal characters in them. Yeah. But it feels very alien to me. So it it feels, I suppose, the same as if I'm watching... Because I don't associate them as being humans. No. I think is how I deal with that. So it's just like watching a superhero film or something like that. Yeah, or... It's too absurd. Or an animal attack. Right. Um, But it is gory. It is gory, this film. I will give it a lot of credit for that. They spent a lot of money on prosthetics. Yes, and it does look good. It's it's convincing. Yeah, very convincing. It is great. It it works very well. Um, I was just going to add, I've got... um, I have a few students every year that tell me early doors that they are upset by images of people being eaten. And I always find it really interesting when you meet someone who has that as, as a kind of ingrained fear and they can't watch films where it's where it's shown. And the fear doesn't... Sometimes it's the, the idea of somebody biting you on your wrist or on your neck where kind of your, uh, your arteries are and things, that bothers them at a really visceral level. But more often than that, it's that they're not necessarily scared of the, the biting and the violence and all the, the viscera. It's that they're frightened of the fact that they can be eaten. And if they are eaten, they'll be turned into shit. I don't I don't know if if it would bother me. Because I associate that when I'm dead, I, as long as I'm already dead before I'm being eaten. Yeah. I wouldn't be bothered about the fact that I'd be turned into shit because my hope then would be that I would 
fertilize the earth and trees yeah. might grow out of me. That's a, that's a very clear response. <laughs> I will be the piece of shit that nourishes the natural world. The watching of this film was spawned kind of from our discussion last week talking about how a virus spreads around the world and we assumed mm. that eventually it turns into a zombie virus that infects people to a point where they inevitably start wanting to eat human flesh because that's what all infections in humans will eventually do. Yeah. This film is based on a film crew. Well, it's a one cameraman and one presenter following around a fire crew doing a news report slash documentary. It's all found footage. Yeah. Um, so you get all the ideas of the main board waiting for for a call out for the fire station where they're interviewing people, trying to find things to talk about until there's some action. Uh, my first question on this is the first zombie death we see mm -hmm. is where the fire department are called out to assist in um, restraining an old woman who we immediately know she's been zombified oh, yeah. and you're kind of waiting for her to attack. But my first question was, what kind of zombie would you want to get you? Is it what kind of zombie would I want to kill me? Yes. I'm going to go for probably one of the wreck zombies because it's it seems kind. They, they know what they're doing. They're quick. They're focused. If they get you, it's going to be over fairly quickly. Speed is important in this, I think. I think so, yeah. What about you? If you've got to be bitten to be infected, in this film, the virus travels via saliva. If you have to be bitten, you don't want to be getting bitten by a zombie who has prosthetic teeth, was my first thought. Because it could take ages. They're just going to gum you to death. Oh, that would be awful. No one wants to be gummed to death by an old man zombie or old woman zombie. You'd be there for hours. I would want a fast, efficient zombie. That's what I'd want. Yeah, that's the dream. And once they're in the building, they immediately encounter this first woman zombie who attacks a police officer who's at the scene already. And they immediately become trapped in this building. It's very impressive how fast the authorities do act to trap this building down. And you kind of get an idea of why that might happen right at the end of the film, but we'll come yeah. to that. The first thing you find out is that the little girl has been ill. Now... If I'd seen an old woman zombie eat somebody, the first thing I'm thinking in my mind is that's a zombie. Absolutely. I've seen enough films. I know how to identify a zombie. It takes them too long. It, it takes you too long to identify where the problems are. The police officer gets bitten and he is now in a very critical condition. Not dead. They drag him out of there. But we lose our young fireman who's been interviewed previously to this. And while they're trying to heal the police officer who's got this massive bite chunk out of his neck and you see that really graphically when the old woman zombie bites him they eventually put the old woman zombie down they think but we're trying to heal this guy and they're all arguing amongst themselves the residents that are awake and don't know what's going on then the man falls from the sky yeah and wow it's in the middle of all of the chaos like you said they're all arguing and it's that perfect moment where the, it gets more and more frantic. It gets louder and louder and louder. There's more and more people arguing. And then you get, it's almost musical. It kind of builds to a crescendo, doesn't it? It's great. Well, this is a really important point because there is no music in this film. No. I kept thinking at points, oh, there's a bit of music there, but then it's just the use of sound effects. Yeah. In the film, real life sound effects, so such as helicopters or the sound of somebody falling through air very quickly. Yeah. It what well, it did make me absolutely shite myself when yeah. that man fell from the sky and hit the deck. It's a brilliant 
scare. You feel like you're really involved with it. You are in it. You are part of this group involved with these discussions. And it just catches you completely yeah. unawares. And it's great. On that, on that same note, it is a very real... It sounds silly to call it a realistic film. Obviously, it's not. But for the concept that it has of the zombie horror movie, I think it's probably the most realistic take on that that I've seen. Um, and I think even the reasoning they give at the start, obviously not at the end of the film when it gets very, very different, but for the most part of the narrative, it's rabies. And I kind of bought into that and thought, oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Ridiculous of me. But I, that was all I needed as an audience member. Oh, why are they all zombies? Oh, because it's rabies. Oh, okay. That seems reasonable to assume. The other great thing about this film is that you have obviously chosen to watch this film as a viewer. So you know from the get-go that it's a zombie film yeah, because you've sat down and chosen to watch it. But also that means that you're constantly anticipating and waiting for people to turn into zombies and you're constantly taking on this journey of different people becoming infected and turning at different times. And you feel like you're looking out for things that you're then annoyed at the characters for not looking out for, which brings me to this point. Mm. You've got a police officer who's been bitten on the neck You've got a young fireman who's fallen from the sky. You've got a little girl who is ill and you know that there's an old woman zombie knocking about yeah. who has been shot at this point. So we don't know if she, we think she's dead. You're in the group. How quickly do you take control and say, right, tell you what we're all going to do. We're all going to go to one safe place where we're all going to keep a nice social distance from each other. Just in case one of us does turn, we're going to have a weapon each. And I'd be clearing out one apartment and locking it down or the other point is they managed to open a massive metal shutter that they then shut they could just shut behind them and that be that and say right everyone who's here is here everyone who isn't is isn't yeah the whole building is surrounded the special forces health inspectors this is somebody else's job i'm gonna let them come in and deal with the zombie infections and taking out zombie people i don't want to be tackling it they do separate them at one point, don't they? I can't remember the specifics of it. They put the infected room. And they do eventually get behind the shutter, but they take some of the people that have been infected with them to try and that's heal them. too trusting, yeah. And I suppose that's the thing about films, isn't it? If it was a video game, you'd be like, well, I'm going I'm to kill that little girl, obviously. Uh, I'm going to kill this guy, that's a bit weird. Like you were saying, as a viewer, you read into those hints that the filmmaker is giving you about what's going to happen next. And if it was a video game, you know, you'd kill everyone, you'd make different decisions. But I think that's why horror films are perhaps the best, most celebrated medium for horror. Because in a video game, you make active decisions yourself. You're kind of in control of how how scary the situations can be. And when you read in a book, you've got to actively turn the page and, and choose to read it and continue on. Whereas when you're positioned as Pablo behind the camera, you're there, you're Pablo, but he's really in control of what you're going to do and what you're going to experience. And that lack of control of the situation is, I would argue, much scarier than being in a video game, being in the narrative of a book. I mean, I just wrote in big letters, I would get behind a shutter or I'd lock myself down and not let anyone else come near me until it's yeah. it's, it's gone away a bit. But that isn't what's going to happen in this situation where everybody is scared, irrational decisions get made. Yeah. And one person has a gun, nobody else does, which is an agent, a police officer, yeah. who is in there with them. 
he's a frustrating character as well. And I think he represents another thing that is, is one of the horrors of the film, which is how rapidly any sense of the normal everyday world disappears, where we have these structures of hierarchy, people that are supposed to be in certain positions of authority, and it all rapidly disappears. Um, but he clings on to his status as a police officer and that's really frustrating because he's not a natural authority figure. And in that situation, he's really not cut out to be any kind of leader. But he thinks, well, that's the structure of society. I'm supposed to tell everyone what to do. So I'm going to tell everyone what to do. And it's awful. And he makes terrible decisions. You know, the, the strike team or whatever they are that are, are on the roof and outside are going to kill them all. And he doesn't accept that for so long because he thinks, oh, they're the government, they look after us. And he doesn't seem to be able to realise that that's not the world anymore. That world has ended. You're in a different environment now. We then get ourselves behind the shutter because they're looking for an exit out of the building. Yeah. So we get behind the shutter, but we do take some of the wounded with us because they try and heal them and there's one guy who's a medical intern he gets a very good tick for wearing gloves while he's dealing with these wounds but then a massive negative for the reporter she interviews the sick girl so the reporter at this point has seen the old woman zombie she's seen the young girl zombie she's been at the forefront of the action seeing a lot of chaos and a lot of biting of people she knows the girl is sick she interviews her and gets very close to her face. Yeah. And I'm like, that is a bad move in any situation. Yeah. When you know that she's sick, why are you getting so close to her face? It's the pre-COVID logic. Throughout the film, we've got distant screams that we blend into the sound of sirens because there's no music in it. No. And we just have this constant horrorscape being created in the background, which is fantastic because at times you blend it out and every so often you remember it and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, there's some, some crazy shit going on out there. Like you were saying, there's that constant contrast between the quietness and they're often whispering and then suddenly you'll get a loud, sudden eruption of sound and that contrast between those two states it's designed to make you incredibly anxious and it works really well. Um, and again, it is, it always makes me feel a bit like I'm on a roller coaster. And I mean that in the full sense of the, of, uh, of it being a gimmick, but a very, very clever gimmick that I always enjoy because just physiologically, we're all going to respond to that. We're all going to respond to the fact that it gets darker and darker and darker. And the fact that as the film goes on, the spaces get narrower and narrower and tighter and we go from quiet to loud, quiet to loud. It's really cleverly done. It just, all of it makes you feel horrible. This is a great point for the lights on section of this as well, because in the film, they're constantly trying to turn the lights on when the lights go out. And there's never really any explanation for why the lights go out or why they can't turn them on. They just do. And then they, to be fair to the characters in it, they constantly try and put the lights on. They're behind the shutter. They've, they've got people that are sick. They've got people that are healthy. They know they can't escape the building because this was their hope. So the reporter decides to start interviewing people. She's interviewed the sick girl, got very close to her face, which is a terrible move. But then we meet my favourite arsehole in the film, which is the racist moustache guy. He's brilliant. He is delighted that he's going to be filmed and he has his little creepy smile. And yeah. then when they actually start the filming, when she says they're rolling, he puts on like a really serious face. Yeah. 
and he's just got this little pencil moustache, but he immediately just launches into a racist tirade about how he's suspicious about those Chinese people eating funny raw food, which is fantastic insight from 2007. He calls them Chinese and they're actually Korean. Also, I can't remember exactly the, what it is, but I'm sure he gets it wrong. He tries to correct himself and it just makes him look worse. They all turn on each other at this point, don't they? Um, everybody's blaming it on everybody else, uh, which again is very relatable. That is what, unfortunately, people tend to do when they are pushed into a sudden emergency state. They want to know whose fault is it, not on a macro level necessarily, but on a micro level. On my estate, who can I blame? We then have the decision by the group to send out a search party to look for the Asian family's sick father who is upstairs. First part of call from me, leave him. What can you do for him now? It's too late. Wait for the military who will be wearing some PPE. Exactly. And then we get the first smashed glass from a zombie which created a, a red wine moment for me. We've got the health inspector inside now and people that they're trying to treat and the health inspector injects one of them in a wound, which yeah. was only garbage where I was like, a bit, oh no, to try and do something. They don't know what it is. But the infected people turn, they try and lock them in a room. The zombies are too powerful, so we get this weird zombie strength, mm. and they attack as many people as they can. So we end up on the other side of the shutter again, and we start to try and gather out who's been bitten, who hasn't been bitten, who's infected, who isn't infected. And this comes straight after the, the chaos of them all turning on each other. So they use this as a perfect excuse to start handcuffing each other to banisters and things. But then a really weird point is the health inspector loses it at this point and takes his hood off. Yeah. Like he was the safest guy yeah. in this hood. Like, Again, you commented last week about how you didn't think a zombie could bite through leather. Yeah. He had a pretty substantial PPE outfit on, and I reckon his chances would have been improved if he'd have left it on. Do you think that the 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 wreck zombies would have the mandible strength to bite through leather or something similar? It, it is an experiment that I would like to see done. Yeah, I'd like to see the conditions recreated in a lab. If we could infect two people and try it out, that would be interesting. Cruel. Yeah. There are countries with slightly more lenient human rights laws than the one we live in, where we would probably have to commission this work to be done. Yeah, unless we're mates with Boris, and then, you know, do what you like. We could just form our own country, set up a trade deal with the UK, who seem pretty desperate at the minute, and then we could do what we like. What would we be offering in our new country? Podcasts. Podcasts, that's our primary export, <laughs> and the facility for pharmaceutical companies to try out zombie vaccines. That's, that's, that's a lot of money in big pharma tubs, don't dismiss it we have now lots of confusion about who's infected and who isn't i loved this moment because i wrote down handcuffed woman reminded me of the goat in jurassic park what? because the zombies have escaped on the other side of the shutter okay. and they start to attack the shutter so now our group have to make a run for it and people are just getting infected and killed yeah. all over the place and this woman is handcuffed to a banister 
while zombies are coming through the metal shutter and they they just have to leave her there as bait who the zombies immediately jump on and start attacking and it just reminded me of that scene in jurassic park where they they leave the little goat chained up for the t-rex to come and eat i remember now Actually, old racist mustache guy speaks some sense about locking themselves down to try and wait it out. The health inspector at this point has managed to get himself infected, so he locks himself in a little room. You took your hat off. Look what happened. Yeah, it's his own stupid fault, so he definitely deserved to die on that alone. Yes, you're scared and fearful, but you knew what you were walking into more than anyone else. Yeah. The search party has been out to look for the Asian family's father, failed. All they've discovered is that the zombie bodies that they thought they'd shot earlier have moved, so they're not dead. So now we know we've got more zombies wandering around the place and we don't know where any of them are. The health inspector has become infected. He tells people to stay away from him. Old moustache racist guy decides to stand next to the glass door that the health inspector is behind. You love to see it. And is immediately killed. Yeah. And it was a red wine moment when the health inspector smashed his way through the glass to grab the old racist guy and give him a good chomping. Yeah. And my, my one line about surviving that is stop standing next to infected people. And windows. Those should be the two rules. The military outside tell you that if you stand next to a window that severe action will be taken. Yeah. You stand next to a window that's got a zombie behind it, it is going to break through. You've already seen this earlier on in the film and in the evening. Stop doing it then lots of confusion because the old racist mustache guy was trying to describe to the reporter and Pablo, the cameraman, a way to access the sewer, but they would need to get into the janitor of the building's house to find a key to get through a reinforced door, which obviously gives us the hope that zombies wouldn't be able to get through that door to access the sewer to escape. He's now been killed immediately after revealing this information by the health inspector. So now we're down to uh, one fireman, we've got reporter, and we've got Pablo. The fireman that's left is the bald guy called Manu, who hasn't been killed yet. They then fight their way up the stairs, which is fantastic. Manu's insane. Manu's greatest moment, by the way, which I have skipped over and i'm disappointed about this is a moment where he takes an iron bar and just assaults the old woman zombie just repeatedly striking her in the head doesn't he twist someone's head off at one point as well he does break a zombie's neck by just twisting it as they're fighting their way up the stairs to get to the apartment where the janitor had lived and who was responsible for the building who had all these keys yeah manu just basically goes on a one-man killing spree, and I would be scared at this point if Manu turned into a zombie because I've just watched him murder a lot of... Oh, yeah. I don't know if it is murder if you're killing a zombie, but he kills a lot of zombies, and the way he takes the iron bar to the old woman, he definitely has wanted to do that for quite a while. This is this is his day. He's finally useful. It is. He thrives in this situation, and I would argue he's the only one in the whole film who thrives in the situation. Yeah. He gets overconfident in how well he fights his way up the stairs in that he then says to the reporter and Pablo to go into the apartment while he waits outside the door to uh, find the keys inside the apartment to this reinforced door that's going to lead to the sewers. Manu thinks, I'm doing quite well here. I could probably take all of these guys out. The reporter and 
cameraman finds the keys eventually with a very desperate search, which is great because nothing nothing actually happens to them while they're in the apartment, but you're constantly tense that something is going to happen because there's very low lighting. So it's very frantic. We're looking for keys. We find the keys, but then we come back out of the door and Manu's missing. You know immediately what's happened. Then it leads to my favourite shot in the film, which is where it looks down the stairwell and there's zombies on different levels all peering over the edge, just having a little, we're here. This leads them with only one choice, which is to, they can't go down. Manu's gone. They're not going to fight their way back down the stairwell. It'd be impossible for them to do that. So they're going to have to go upstairs to the apartment that is on the top floor that nobody has seen anybody living in it's rumored to have been owned by a man in madrid it's referenced briefly in the film this penthouse apartment at the top that's the biggest apartment but no one knows what goes on there they never see anyone come or go when they're trying to reference whether there'll be anyone else in the building so we we kind of know that at some point we're gonna have to discover what's up there and they eventually they eventually get in and you feel for a moment that they might be safe in there because it all goes quiet. We don't have any electricity in this apartment, so we're relying solely on the light from the camera. And it's great because we're suddenly thrown, the film is suddenly thrown in a completely different direction. And I love this. This is always a controversial one with people. Um, I really, really like the ending of this film, but I, I get why people sometimes don't. What did you think about the the sort of religious injection at the end? I think it's great that they they just completely flip it from something that you might have been expecting from just being a standard horror movie zombie affections to this suggestion of possession. Yeah. And all these stories and tales about a possessed girl who the Vatican Church were were looking after. Yeah. And she escaped and this guy who's gathered all this evidence for it and all this reports and he has the girl locked down in this apartment and he's basically doing experiments on her to see if he can find out a cure or what is wrong with her. And eventually the reporter and Pablo, the cameraman, find an old-school reel-to-reel tape recorder, which I thought was awesome. It just made it seem loads more creepy. And it basically just says, well, it's the church's fault. Yeah. (laughs) What a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, it's such an odd reveal, as you were saying. But I I think the way I read it is that I've gone through this whole narrative that's so kind of realistic and is, is grounded in the real world. So it kind of deserves to go somewhere bit sillier at the very end i've got enough buy-in to go oh yeah it was the church that's really scary it's possession of real i'm so engrossed in it and committed into it at this point of seeing what could happen next that it just threw me a little bit i was like oh oh i, I, I did definitely not see that one coming yeah. to be fair and i love the fact that they They just throw the Vatican Church completely under the bus with it and say, well, they knew about it. They didn't deal with it. All they did was lock down the possessed girl in an apartment. (laughs) Yeah, and the possessed girl is pretty scary. Yeah, well, this was resulted in the biggest red wine moment of the (laughs) film for me because Pablo and the reporter are just kind of knocking about the apartment trying to find more evidence. They're just slowly stumbling across. They find the reel-to-reel and listen to the 
the doctor's experiments that he'd recorded. And, you know, it's going worse the more he's revealing on these recordings. But we get this this moment then where this loft hatch just drops down and we're intently listening. Because it's done on reel-to-reel, it's a little bit grainy and you have to listen quite carefully and it's all gone very quiet. And suddenly, bang, lofts down, red wine everywhere. Yeah. It was a nice bottle of... Um, Chili Malbec, I was, a Malbec from Chile. I was having this everywhere, and we get this amazing moment then, where two characters that are left, so Pablo and the reporter, don't know what is up in the loft and they can't see. So all you get is Pablo lifting the camera up into yeah. the loft, and you know it's going to be bad. Yeah, and it feels like, like you were saying the fact that Pablo reaches the camera up it's as if we're being pushed up there on our own away from those two and it just adds to that sense of what the hell is this thing and why are you doing this to me i don't deserve this i wouldn't go up there i don't want to go up there pablo what are you doing but you can't stop it no you're, you're on the roller coaster that's it never be the first one through the door rule one yeah. pablo and the reporter know something's up there but they don't know what it is we do know what it is mm. Sort of. Stop going to investigate what's in a loft. Loft door drops down. Close it. If you know nothing's come down yet, just shut it. You don't need to know what's up there. There's no way out. There's no escape. And ultimately, that leads to their death, in my opinion. Yeah, although does Angela die? She gets dragged off, doesn't she? So we don't know if she's dead. Yeah, okay. I loved the final paranormal activity scene because Pablo dies and the camera's just on the floor with night vision and then we see her and there's the reporter, by the way. She gets, she gets dragged off into the abyss, yeah. exactly like in Paranormal Activity yeah. 1, which I thought was fantastic how they just ended it that way. Mm, yeah. Survival advice, Tubbs. What do you think they could have done? I think, like... You made the point that they were desperately trying to get the lights back on. And I think maybe the reason that we enjoy this film so much is that we we can really relate to that. And we're like, oh, they tried to do the right thing. <laughs> they should have survived. It wasn't their fault. Um, I think, honestly, there's very little you could do. If they'd have gone outside and escaped the horror of the apartment, they'd have been murdered by the government. Um, so that's not really an option. I don't know how long they could have actually held out with each other before... Um, things inevitably went wrong and somebody bit somebody else and it all went to, to shit again. I I don't know. I don't know what they possibly could have done except pray, I guess, in retrospect. Maybe they should have been praying. Well, yeah, now that we know that the church is directly involved, but yeah. they don't find that information out until it's too late, unfortunately. And because we find out that this is kind of stemmed from an old case, it fills in the lovely gap of knowing why the government might immediately show up as quickly as they do to lock the building down. Yeah, I mean, more questions about why the government were allowing that to happen in that facility anyway, which was a bit weird. I know that she was supposed to have escaped, but they, they get there very quickly they, to the government. They seem very organised. Then the, the reveal at the end makes them seem very disorganised. So, yeah, there's a bit of a weird paradox there. I did think they could have gone for more weapons. There weren't enough weapons being used. Manu was quite good with his iron bar on the old woman. The police officer had his gun with bullets in, but we discover that doesn't go well. So the only solution for me in this is, you know, bullets are not working. I'm going to assume the iron bar isn't working. You've got to take out the brain. So it's either got to be a headshot or decapitation. Yes. 
take out the brain. And if, yeah, that would make sense. And it, from their understanding that it is some form of rabies, well, yeah, of course it's going to work if you destroy their head somehow. I'm going to go back to my leather argument again. Raid somebody's wardrobe, someone's going to have a leather jacket. And I do think it's got to work. I've convinced myself. I don't think they can get through leather. I think that's the way you survive a zombie apocalypse, is leather up. This is a great survival advice from the pod here. Mm. If you find yourself encountering a zombie apocalypse, you need to get leathered up. Yeah. We've said leather is the key to survival. Which is great. Um, and I can imagine there will be a rush on people listening to this pod then going out to purchase leather outfits in the I, near future. I just have to hope that my vegetarian leather is as strong as leather. That's true, actually. Um, vegan leather, we, this is a test that needs to be done in our country that we develop. Yeah, that's true. The strength of leather. That's, we'll have a big market. We might get a leather sponsor from the pod. If you're into producing goth gear and you want some advertisement, then we could be your guys for that. Fetish wear. Fetish wear. We are open to anything. The last section of the podcast to discuss today is about survival advice and survival stories. Now, I found and heard one actually on the radio this last week, which was about a man who lives in his apartment or house. I'm not sure if it was an apartment or a house. I think it was a house, actually, with his girlfriend, who came back from work or somewhere. He'd been out, and he went to the loo, and as he opened the toilet, he found a giant snake on the bathroom floor. Full snakes on a plane business, this. Mm -hmm. Toby? You come up, open your bathroom door, and you find a snake, a huge python sat there looking at you. A python? What do you do? I would close the door um, and then call my wife. So this is exactly what this man did. Okay. <laughs> he shut the door, called his wife. Yep. Then opened the door to show his wife oh. to find the python was no longer oh, in the middle no. of oh, the room. Oh, no. I'll describe to you the events and actions that the, the couple took. Okay. So this was quite late at night. They decided there was nothing that could be done about it there and then. No. So went to bed. No. How do you sleep? And then just got up the next day. Alive. Madness. Alive. So they did survive. They woke up, called the RSPCA. Yeah. Who sent out to presume well, Steve Irwin's dead so I don't know who they sent <laughs> some form of snake capture who did find the python and this person then explained that the python had found its way into a cavity in the walls oh God, no. where it had been possibly for a few weeks oh this is making me feel sick oh, <laughs> oh that's awful that's really Let's funny. break this down. Ooh. Would you have gone to bed? No, never again. Probably never again in my life. <laughs> Would you have had to sell the house? Absolutely, yeah. Maybe burn it down and just just cut off that, cut it off there. My first point of this that I thought of was that if I said that to 
my girlfriend that I had opened the door. There was a python. I called her. She then came and then saw that there wasn't. She would have first first thought that I was just making some ridiculous sexual innuendo. Of, come look, come look at my python in the bathroom. <laughs> she falling for that one. I'll tell you that now. But also, I would have to have taken a picture of the python. I'm talking about the actual animal now, not. My gentleman's pie. Just to reassure myself that it was real. And so that if it did vanish, I could then show it to other people to say, look, this is what it looks like. Also, if... That's a good point, yeah. If the ghost of Steve Irwin came to rescue me, I'd want to be able to show him what kind, what the snake looked like, how big it was, so yeah. that they could then have a go at discovering where it might have gone. I couldn't have left it overnight. Okay. I mean, there's no way my girlfriend would have allowed that to happen. Okay. I would have had to call the RSPCA there and then, but I would have left and gone and stayed at someone else's house. That would be the first obvious natural reaction. Do you inform your neighbours? Yeah, I think this all hinges on, as you said, taking a photo, which I think is a really good idea. Because like you say, if you're wandering around saying to people, there's a python in my bathroom, they're going to assume some things. Um, yeah, if I had a photo of it, if I'm in that reality, then yeah, I'd be going around going, look, I know it's weird. This is the situation. I'm not sleeping in my house. You know, it might it might be in the walls. Although I don't think I would be able to work out that it was in the walls. I don't know. Where would you think it had gone? I don't know. Maybe down the, <laughs> down the drain, could it? That's a ridiculous thing to say. Down the toilet? No, because it can't breathe underwater. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's that, but that's the scary. That's what makes it scary is that you don't know. Do you? I never have assumed wall cavity, and now that I know that that was the actual option, I wish I didn't know. Yeah, what was more disturbing is on the radio they said this is actually more common than you'd think. Oh fuck off! No. <laughs> so if you live Ugh. near somebody who has a pet snake, Ugh. and they are trying to inform you or not inform you that their pet snake has escaped or they have released it into the wild. There is a chance that it's in your wall. Surely if someone's got a pet snake in England, it's not a snake that can kill someone. You can buy, like, pythons as pets. Like, my cousin's partner, he uh, works with all kinds of wonderful reptiles, and his one of his best mates is a, is a keen snake collector, I believe. Okay. Advice from the pod, uh, please don't send unrequested pics of your python to people. <laughs> python pics, yeah. Don't send Python pics unless asked for. Mm -hmm. Nobody needs that in the DMs. If you do find yourself in a situation where you have a Python in your house, you don't know where it's gone, get yourself out of that house until the ghost of Steve Irwin comes to your rescue. How would Pythons kill you? Let's get into it. They'd, they'd just wrap their themselves around your neck while you slept. Oh, yeah, they do that thing, don't they, where it's when you... Is it when you ex when you inhale they get tighter and that's how they do it? So every time you take a breath it gets tighter and tighter and they as soon as there's any space they restrict more. My problem with this is I also couldn't identify the snake. I've oh, not wow. got enough knowledge, so I wouldn't know if it was poisonous or not. So I would I would have to err on the side of caution. Yeah. A cheery story to end the pod this week. Everybody lived. Everybody lived. If you think you've got a python in your house, get out, ring the RSPCA, and maybe before you go to bed tonight, just give the walls a little knock, and if you hear a little slithering around in there, run.
Contact us at howtosurvivehorrormovies at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at howtosurvivehorrormovies.com